Joe Joyce is apparently looking to have a warm-up fight before facing Daniel Dubois in April. Negotiations are ongoing between the two teams, Team Joyce and Team Dubois. They've both got the same promoter in Frank Warren, but Warren appears to be more pro-Dubois than pro-Joyce. Joyce has got this manager, Sam Jones, who a lot of people don't like, <laughs> but it is what it is. I personally find Jones very funny because of the fact that so many people don't like him, because of the fact that he winds people up unintentionally, intentionally, I'm not sure. But I think it's a good idea for Joe Joyce to have a tune-up fight in the interim period because he was supposed to fight uh, Marco Hook. That fell through. Rather than allow this long period of inactivity, it would be good for him to get in the ring and get a couple of rounds at least because Daniel Dubois only just fought in December, even though it wasn't much of a fight. He still got out in front of a crowd and all that kind of stuff. So I think it'd be a good idea for Joyce to get a warm-up. I've been listening to some of Boxing Beats and Rhymes uh, videos where he talks about this particular fight or potential fight. And he thinks that maybe Dubois' people would have more reason to swerve this fight than Joyce's people. I personally think it's the other way around. I think Joyce's people have got more reason to swerve this fight because Joyce has got a decent world ranking. Joyce, at 34 years old, can't afford a setback as much as Daniel Dubois can. How old is Dubois now? 21, 22? If you lose to an Olympic silver medalist, somebody who did well in the World Series of Boxing, and Dubois only had, what is it, 15 fights or something like that? Very early stage of his career. If he was to lose at this point, he can bounce back. He's got years and years ahead of him, potentially. Joe Joyce at 34, whatever he is, 35, if he was to lose to Daniel Dubois, that's a real long road back for him, and he doesn't have all the time Dubois got. He's like, what, eight years older than Dubois or something like that? And it's not just how good you are at your, you know, because look, fighters age at different rates. Perhaps Joe Joyce is young because he doesn't have miles on the clock by way of taking punishment. Although in some of them world, box, uh, world series of boxing fights, he took a lot of punishment, certainly in the Usek fight. And of course, punishment he's taken in the gym. The punishment his body has taken, putting himself through all the training over the decades, okay? But nonetheless, even if you are relatively fresh at 34, 35, and you lose a fight, the industry don't look at you the same way anymore. And because the industry don't look at you the same way, people don't want to invest money in you. That's one of the big problems when you're an older fighter. It's not just how good you are or how good you aren't. It's the way promoters and the money men in boxing look at you. If you're an old guy, well, they don't want to spend any money on you. One, because they don't believe in you at your age that you can do things. And for two, even if they bring you in as an opponent and you're old, they're thinking, okay, well, you're still dangerous. And if you beat my guy, then it's going to look bad because he just lost to an old guy, an old guy who's, you know, lost in the past or whatever. So, that's the issue with uh, being up there in age as a heavyweight prospect like Joe Joyce. But right now, Joe Joyce is unbeaten. As I say, he's in a similar position to Daniel Dubois. He's fought better opposition than Dubois, let's be real, which is, again, one of the reasons why it won't be so bad if Dubois loses to Joyce right now. 
Joyce has beaten Brian Jennings. I know a lot of people dispute that decision. And I can understand why. If that fight had been in the United States, Jennings probably would have got it. But nonetheless, on his record, jo Joyce has beaten Brian Jennings. He's beaten Berman Stavern. You know, he's beaten people who have been uh, participating in world-level fights in the past. Okay? Daniel Dubois hasn't beaten anybody like that. So, Dubois can afford a loss right now. They don't want a loss, obviously. But... When a guy is that young and when they've got so much excuses, I guess, which they could use if he was to lose to Joyce. Oh, well, you know, he's young. Joyce is very experienced. Uh, this, that, and the other. Joyce had beaten people who had competed at world level before Daniel Dubois hadn't. We just needed to bring him a, a, along a little bit more sensibly with the matchmaking. You know what I mean? People will accept those reasons and those excuses at this stage. Obviously, if Joyce had taken a few losses and people didn't believe in Joyce and then Dubois lost to him, it'd be a different story altogether. But as it currently stands, I think Dubois uh, could bounce back more easily from a loss from a PR perspective than Joyce could right now. So I think, and from what I can see, Joyce's people are a bit more cautious when it comes to taking this fight than Dubois people because again Joyce is looking at it like I can get a European title fight against Marco Hook I could maybe get a voluntary shot for one of the belts that's where Joyce is thinking about going at this point Daniel Dubois in Joyce's mind that's kind of a step back that's the British and Commonwealth I'm, I'm trying to go up to world and European and world not British and Commonwealth you know so I get it from Joe Joyce's perspective but there does appear to be a lot of pressure from his promoter Frank Warren in terms of where Joe Joyce goes from here because at the end of the day even though Joe Joyce is not managed by Frank Warren he's fighting on Frank Warren's shows and if Frank Warren wants to put pressure on Joyce to take the Dubois fight he can do it by saying well we don't really have money for that opponent that you want Joe on that particular show sorry we ain't got that <laughs> Oh, but you can fight Daniel Dubois, though, if you want to fight on this other show. No, we got money for that. It will sell more tickets. There's a big heavyweight clash. But th these other fights that you want, Joe, we just don't have the money for it. That's how promoters, in a subtle way, can force some of their fighters to take particular fights. And there might be, I don't know if there is, there might be an element, is possible, of that going on here with this Joe Joyce situation, where Frank Warren has made no secret of the fact that he wants that fight. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Joyce versus Dubois. As far as how it's going to go, I think most people are picking Dubois. I did do a poll, I believe. I can't remember if it was in my Facebook boxing group. I did a poll. Most people were picking Daniel Dubois over Joe Joyce. Very few people are picking Joyce to win the fight. I think Joyce's... <laughs> Joyce's lack of speed and his... Lack of defense play a big part. Are people underestimating Joe Joyce? I think Joe Joyce is an easy guy to underestimate because he looks so beatable. But when you look at his record, particularly in the World Series of Boxing and his amateur record, it's win, 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 win against all these top-level fighters. This guy beat Hergovic in the World Series of Boxing. That fight's on YouTube. You can go watch it. He beat Hergovic. Hergovic 
for my money, looks easily as impressive as Daniel Dubois so far as a pro. And Joe Joyce beat that guy. So somehow, someway, even though Joyce looks horrible in the ring, he looks slow, he looks awkward, somehow he's effective. It's the strangest thing. And Joyce, as awkward as he, as he is, and in terms of his movement, he does remind you of a young George Foreman because young, a young George Foreman was also slow and clunky and all that kind of stuff. But a young George Foreman also had tremendous punching power. With Joe Joyce, you don't even see tremendous punching power. I mean, he's heavy-handed, but you don't see the viciousness in his punches that you saw in a young George Foreman's punches. So it's the strangest thing with Joe Joyce, how he's been as successful as he has in the World Series of Boxing and as an amateur. But the results don't lie. <laughs> a lot of people think he actually should be a gold medalist and that he was robbed in the finals against Tony Yoka. Now, I personally don't think so, but a lot of people do. So he's an easy guy to underestimate. Will he be able to deal with Daniel Dubois? I think Dubois is, of course, talented. He hits hard. He's got a very nice jab. Dubois is slow himself, though. He's not the fastest heavyweight in the world. He's He looks like uh, Usain Bolt next to Joe Joyce in terms of speed. But Dubois is not particularly fast. Let me not say he's outright slow. He's got average speed for a heavyweight, um, Daniel Dubois. He's not particularly fast. And he's quite defensively irresponsible, Daniel Dubois, when he starts exchanging. There's a lot of defensive irresponsibility there. Will Joe Joyce be able to exploit that and capitalize on that? Because with boxing, it's all about styles. I've just talked about all the credentials that Joe Joyce has got, amateur in the World Series of Boxing. But does his style match up well with Dubois' style? I saw some people discussing it on a boxing forum, and they were saying it's all going to come down to Joe Joyce's chin, whether he has the ability to absorb Dubois' power. If he does, then he's going to give Dubois nightmares. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm certainly, I would certainly have to say Dubois looks a lot more polished than Joyce. Um, but I don't know. It's an intriguing fight. There's a lot of questions about both men as professionals, which is why I want to see it so much. Let me just leave it at that. <laughs> Rather than pontificating about what happens when the styles match up. When you've got two guys where there's a lot of questions to answer about both of them, where they both haven't really proven much as professionals, it's more guesswork than any kind of informed opinion when it comes to uh, picking a winner. It's, it's more guesswork because you're guessing how you think somebody's going to react in a particular situation or how somebody's going to react to the punching power or whether somebody's going to be able to exploit defensive frailties. You're, you're, you're guessing more than anything because you haven't seen them in them situations before in a professional fight. So let's just hope the fight happens in April and then we won't have to do any more guesswork. We can just see for ourselves. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening. I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. 
You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Most Deontay Wilder fans are casuals who don't know anything about boxing. And they reveal this about themselves with some of the comments that they leave on my videos. And I'll get onto that in just a second. But the vast majority of Wilder fans didn't even know who Deontay Wilder was two years ago, three years ago, much less back in 2013, seven years ago, when I was making videos about Wilder. Do you think most of these Wilder fans knew who Wilder was? They'd never heard of him. See, these people don't know anything about boxing. So let me explain. One of the comments I see coming up over and over again on some of my videos is these Wilder fans who say, AJ can't beat Wilder because he can't take a good punch. Or AJ can't knock Wilder out because he couldn't even knock Ruiz out. Well, had it crossed your mind, fanboys, that Ruiz might actually have a better chin than Deontay Wilder? Had it crossed your mind that styles make fights? Do you know enough about boxing history to know that, for example, Lennox Lewis was knocked out with one punch by Oliver McCall. He was also knocked out with one punch by Hassim Rackman. But did you know that they were not the two biggest punches he fought in his career? So your theory that, oh, AJ gets knocked out by Wilder simply because Wilder hits harder than anybody AJ's fought, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Lennox Lewis fought Razor Ruddock, who was a bigger puncher than Oliver McCall. He knocked out Razor Ruddock in two rounds. Lennox Lewis fought David Tua, who was a bigger puncher than Oliver McCall. He beat Tua virtually by a landslide on points over 12. Lennox Lewis knocked out Frank Bruno in seven rounds, who was a bigger puncher than Oliver McCall. Lennox Lewis beat Andrew Golotta. He beat Shannon Briggs. Shannon Briggs had more first round knockouts than any heavyweight champion in history. Lewis knocked him out in about, what was it, five or six rounds. A bigger puncher than Oliver McCall. Lennox Lewis, of course, knocked out Mike Tyson. He beat Vitaly Klitschko, one of the people who has the highest knockout ratios in heavyweight history. Well, Vitaly Klitschko was stopped in six rounds. All of these people hit harder than Oliver McCall. But yet McCall knocked him out of one punch. This is chess. It ain't checkers. It's rock, paper, scissors. You, Deontay Wilder fanboys, are casuals and you are revealing your shocking, staggering lack of boxing knowledge and boxing understanding with many of the comments that you leave on my videos. Boxing is far more complex than that. Andy Ruiz, a come forward front foot counterpuncher who all of you Wilder fanboys gave him no chance against AJ. That shows how much you know about boxing. I said that Andy Ruiz had a good chance in the fight. You didn't say that in the first AJ fight. You were all writing him off, laughing at the fight, saying it was a joke. That's because you don't know anything about boxing. I've seen odds that uh, online that AJ is something like a 20 to one on favorite.
which to me is surprising that he's such a massive favorite. I mean, I expect him to be a favorite, but 20 to 1 on? I guess that's the casual money going in on uh, on AJ, right? <laughs> that's the casuals. I'd be tempted to take long odds on Andy Ruiz, truth be told, because the guy's not a mug. Because I think AJ is going to find that this is not a walk in the park. Yeah, even if it ends, let's say, four or five rounds, I think he's going to know that he's been in the fight. <laughs> you know? I think he's going to know he's been in the fight. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out to be a very rough and tumble affair. Do I expect him to win? No. But would I be shocked if he did? No. He's a good fighter. Fast hands, and he has certain technical abilities which have the potential to give AJ plenty of trouble. I was making videos about Deontay Wilder before you even knew who he was. And yet you come to my videos acting like you're geniuses. You no, know, you don't know a damn thing about boxing. I'm teaching you because you're clueless and you're pea-brained. If you've even got one brain cell on active duty, you'll shut your mouth up for a second, leave a keyboard alone, listen and learn. That's what you'll do. But no, most of you are too dumb to even do that. So you're going to carry on talking rubbish in the comment section, making absolute fools of yourselves, because that's what you are. <laughs> stupid is as stupid does. Styles make fights. There are some people who say, and they, they love to try and rubbish AJ's win over Klitschko. AJ was in his 19th fight. Was it 18th or 19th fight? Who was Wilder fighting in his 18th or 19th fight? Nobody. Cream puffs, donuts. Wilder had had well over 30 fights by the time AJ fought Klitschko. Wilder could have fought Klitschko. Did you know that? That version of Klitschko that you guys like to rubbish and say that he was garbage and over the hill and this, that, and the other. That version of Klitschko, Wilder could have fought him instead of AJ for the vacant WBA belt. Why didn't he? Why was Wilder on the safe side of the ropes and not in there fighting Klitschko instead of AJ? How come that was AJ and not Wilder doing that? Because Klitschko wanted the Wilder fight for a long time. Even after he lost to Fury, he still said he wanted the Wilder fight. So you guys who say Wilder's such a warrior, he's so good. He's so unbeatable. It's only Fury who stands a chance. Why didn't Wilder get in the ring with Klitschko for the vacant? He could be WBC and WBA champion if he'd done that. But no, he didn't do it. So your perception of Deontay Wilder doesn't square with reality. The reality is this man ran from Klitschko. He wanted absolutely no parts of him. Even the version of Klitschko who AJ fought, Wilder wanted no parts of that man. That's why he stayed on the safe side of the ropes. In 10 title defenses, Wilder hasn't even had one unification. He could have unified with Klitschko. He could have unified with AJ. He could have unified with Parker. He could have unified even with, dare I say, Charles Martin. Not even one unification in all that time. What does that tell you about the man? <laughs> You know, you really got to laugh. These Deontay Wilder fanboys who are casuals, they don't know the first thing about boxing. And look, there's nothing wrong with being a casual as long as you know you're a casual, as long as you're willing to learn. I get a lot of people who subscribe to my channel who say, listen, Hatman, I, I'm only a new boxing fan. I started watching boxing a couple years ago. I've learned a lot from your videos. Cool. You're a casual. We need casuals. As long as you're understanding of the fact that you're a casual, that you've got a lot to learn about the sport. That's okay. Everybody starts out as a new boxing fan at some point and we learn along the way. Okay. But when you get these casuals, 
which are the majority of Deontay Wilder fans. Casuals. Don't know anything about boxing. You get these casuals and they think they're geniuses. That's when you get frustrated because these people talk the absolute most maximum amount of nonsense, nonstop. You know, I remember back in the 1990s when Mike Tyson was, you know, still a force in boxing. He'd come out of prison in 95 and there was a lot of Mike Tyson hype. It was, you know, the same as before he went into prison. It was a tremendous amount of hype. He came out of prison and he knocked out Peter McNeely. Then he knocked out Buster Mathis Jr. Then he beat Frank Bruno for the WBC belt in their rematch. And the amount of people who were saying that Mike Tyson is just going to run through the heavyweight division again, he's going to beat everybody. There's nobody that can stop him because this is the casual mindset. And at the time, I wasn't as knowledgeable about boxing as I am now. He fought Holyfield on November 96. And I fought because I'd watched Holyfield get stopped by Riddick Bowe in the third fight. I'd watched Holyfield not look too great against Bobby Chez. I'd watched Holyfield lose to Michael Mora. I watched him, of course, lose the first fight to Riddick Bowe as well. For all intents and purposes, and from what I could see and what the majority of boxing fans and the uh, media were saying, Holyfield was washed up at that point, going into the Tyson fight. Now Tyson coming out of prison, but he'd been destroying everybody when he came out of prison, including Frank Bruno. He did better against Bruno in the rematch than he did in the first fight. The first fight was a tougher fight for Tyson. The second fight was a walk in the park. So very few people gave Holyfield a chance in that rematch because they said, well, you know what? Holyfield got stopped by Riddick Bowe and Riddick Bowe can't punch like Mike Tyson. You know, he's not as fast and explosive as Tyson. There's no way that Holyfield beats uh, Mike Tyson. But boxing don't work like that. Styles make fights. Holyfield had been in there with people like Riddick Bowe who were much bigger than Mike Tyson, much physically stronger than Mike Tyson. And Holyfield fought those guys on the inside as well as the outside. George Foreman, another very big guy. He went toe-to-toe -to -toe with George Foreman at times in their fight. So when it came to fighting Mike Tyson, a little guy, Tyson's speed was something he had to contend with. But Tyson's punching power and his strength, that wasn't a problem for Holyfield. He'd been in there with guys who were very strong, stronger than Tyson, hit harder than Tyson. He'd been in there with guys like that before. And this is something I didn't factor in. And most other people at the time didn't factor in. That's why Holyfield was something like a 25 to one underdog against Mike Tyson in the first fight, November 96, November 9th, 96 to be, to be precise. So I learned a lot that night about boxing, about how styles make fights, about how a fighter in Mike Tyson can get caught up in his own hype and believe that he's this, you know, uh, irresistible force. That's what Mike Tyson felt, that nobody can stand in front of him. He had all these cheerleaders around him, like Crocodile and all these other individuals, screaming and shouting. All these guys who have been in prison, tough guys. But that don't mean nothing when you get in the ring against an opponent who's experienced, who's tough, who's prepared, and who has been studying you for years as Holyfield had been studying Mike Tyson. You know, when Holyfield fought Riddick Bowe the second time, he was trained by Manny Stewart for that fight. Manny Stewart said that Evander Holyfield, this is what he said in interviews, 
Holyfield is the most egotistical fighter he's ever worked with. Now, a lot of people find that strange to hear because Holyfield always comes across as this humble Christian guy. But according to Manny Stewart, he said Holyfield was the most egotistical guy he'd ever worked with. And during that training camp for the bowl rematch where Holyfield was trying to win the heavyweight title for, or, or, or become, what was it, the third person at the time to win back the heavyweight title, to become heavyweight champion twice. Instead of concentrating on Riddick Bow, I mean, he obviously concentrated on Bow to a certain degree, but instead of focusing all his energy on Bow, according to Manny Stewart, all Holyfield did for the whole camp was talk about Mike Tyson. He was obsessed with beating Mike Tyson. At the time, Mike Tyson was in prison. Think about this. <laughs> He's supposed to be focusing on winning this rematch against Riddick Bow, where a lot of people were writing Holyfield off in that Bow rematch. They thought he'd get stopped. So he's supposed to be focusing on Bo. All he's talking about is Tyson, 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 Tyson. This guy was obsessed with Mike Tyson. He was obsessed with the fact that the press didn't think he had any chance against Mike Tyson. When Holyfield became undisputed champion, oh, he's, he's not as good a puncher as Tyson. Oh, he should have knocked out George Foreman, this old man. Oh, Tyson would have done Foreman easy. Then he struggled with Burt Cooper. Oh, imagine if Tyson was in there. Tyson would have knocked him all over the place. That's another good example. Evander Holyfield, Styles make fights. Evander Holyfield. Nearly got knocked out by Burt Cooper, a journeyman. Think about that now. A journeyman, Burt Cooper, nearly knocked out Evander Holyfield. And Holyfield was originally supposed to fight Mike Tyson on that night, but that's right when Mike Tyson got locked up for the Desiree Washington thing. And Burt Cooper had Holyfield all over the place. On the brink of, brink of being knocked out, it would have been a huge upset. So Holyfield wasn't looking good. When he eventually fights Mike Tyson down the line in 96, nobody's giving Holyfield a chance because Holyfield by then was seen, was was uh, perceived to be worse than he was when he got hurt and nearly stopped by Burt Cooper. So how could this guy beat Mike Tyson who's running through everybody again? Because styles make fights. It's chess, it ain't checkers. It's not as simple as you think. It's not just, oh, this guy hits harder than this guy and therefore he wins. Are you dumb? You must have started watching boxing last week if you think it's that simple to figure out who beats who just based upon who hits harder than who or, or, or he's a harder puncher than anyone he's fought before and therefore he wins. Foolishness. You want to find out how good Deontay Wilder's chin is, how it would stand up to Anthony Joshua's punching power. He's never fought anybody that can hit like Joshua. You think Deontay Wilder's got an iron jaw? Deontay Wilder was down against Harold Sconey as a journeyman early in his career. This is a, a picture of it. Any of you can look this up. Al Heyman has done an excellent job of scrubbing the video footage of this from the internet. But that's Deontay Wilder right there on the canvas, dropped by Harold Sconey's. Deontay Wilder was also stopped in the amateurs. Any of you can look up his amateur loss. Where he gets stopped, you see Deontay Wilder on the floor, down in that fight. Deontay Wilder, according to multiple different people, was ironed out in sparring by Vladimir Klitschko. And you think Wilder can just walk through everything AJ's got? You are dumb. Deontay Wilder, for the most part, has been mollycoddled in his career. He has been treated with kid gloves. He's been wrapped in cotton wool. He's been protected for most of his career. That's a fact. If that's not a fact, then how come he didn't fight anybody with a pulse until his 33rd fight? 
AJ managed to fight dangerous people in less than 20 fights. Tyson Fury managed to fight Klitschko in his 25th fight. Where was Deontay Wilder in his 25th fight? What was he doing? He was fighting cream puffs, donuts, jokers. The guy's been mollycoddled and still as a world champion, continued to be mollycoddled. Not even one unification. Well, how's that possible? Given all the champions that there's been during the time that Deontay Wilder's held a WBC belt. There's been Klitschko. There's been Parker. There's been Charles Martin. There's been Anthony Joshua. Wilder's unified with none of them. What's that all about? <laughs> you people, you Wilder fanboys are casuals. You don't know the first thing about boxing. I'm going to teach you about boxing because you don't know a damn thing about the sport. As I keep telling you, seven years ago when I was making videos about Wilder, you didn't even know who Wilder was. And now you think you're experts on the sport. No, you don't know damn a damn thing about boxing. <laughs> Jokers. So, school's in session. Strap in and you are going to learn about this sport from me. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to school you. The way that Billy Joe Saunders schooled David Lemieux. <laughs> I'm going to school you on this sport. Anyway, those of you wise enough to understand, I'd like to hear from you in the comment section below. Those of you who are too stupid, too fanboyish, you're going to say what you're going to say. You know, I'm going to try school you. <laughs> well, I will school you. It's just whether or not you even have the intellectual capacity to be able to take the information and the knowledge in and incorporate it into your thought processes as, well, not boxing fans, you're fanboys. You're not fans of the sport, you're just fans of Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder bootlickers. <laughs> That's all you are. So anyway, let me know how you guys feel in the comment section below. It's Hatman, I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Tyson Fury continues to talk confidently about his rematch with Deontay Wilder, saying that he's going to knock Wilder out. So I'm going to quote the Gypsy King directly. He said, he said he was going to knock me out last time and he didn't. Why do you think I employed Sugar Hill Stewart? Is it to improve my slick boxing moves and style? I don't think so. It's to look for that big right hand, Tommy Hearns style. Pow! That's what we're looking for. Knock out or go home. If I don't knock Wilder out, it doesn't count. He goes on to say, I'm really eliminating all of the outside distractions this time. I eat, sleep, train, and repeat. I'm eating five to six meals a day. I'm drinking many liters of water a day. 
I don't really do anything else. I don't go out. I don't see people. I don't speak to anyone on the phone. I don't do emails. I don't search Google. This is the first training camp in 10 years that I haven't had a Diet Coke. This is the first training camp where I'm literally going to bed early every night at 9.30 p.m. I wake up early morning at 7 a.m. fresh as a daisy. I literally live in training camp like a Spartan and Trojan warrior. And that's it. I don't really know if any of that matters on the night. It didn't matter before, but if it's willing to give me an edge on the night of the fight, then I'm willing to try it. Why not? What will happen on February 22nd is all in the hands of the gods. So those are the words of Tyson Fury. Now, the first thing I pick up on there is kind of a nod to his namesake, Mike Tyson. When Mike Tyson rematched Razor Ruddock, he famously said, if Ruddock doesn't die, it doesn't count. So he went in the, into the rematch saying that he was going to kill Razor Ruddock, catch a body. If he doesn't die, it doesn't count. Now, obviously Tyson Fury didn't say die, but he said, if he doesn't, if I don't, if I don't knock him out, it doesn't count. <laughs> so he dialed it back a little bit from what Mike Tyson said and said, if I don't knock him out, it doesn't count. Now, as far as all the changes he's making in training camp, sometimes if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sometimes when a fighter has a particular mental makeup, if you put them into a very strict regime, it can actually have a detrimental effect on the fighter. Yeah, when you've got one of these free-spirited fighters, if you restrict them too much, it can have a negative effect. With that being said, Tyson Fury had a more strict regime when he was under the tutelage of his uncle Peter. There wasn't so many fun and games in training camp and all that, them kind of things there when he was with Peter Fury. Peter Fury, a far more serious character. He didn't like nonsense. And that actually brought the best out of Tyson Fury. So perhaps now with Sugar Hill Stewart, similar kind of situation. Although I don't think Sugar Hill Stewart has the authority over Tyson that Peter Fury had. And that's assuming Tyson Fury needs that kind of authority over him at the moment. Tyson Fury is obviously matured to some extent over the past few years. Uh, perhaps he can discipline himself rather than needing somebody to keep him in check like he perhaps used to uh, years ago. So I'm interested to see what these changes that Tyson Fury has made in his camp are going to have. He talked about eating more. He's eating however many times a day now, six meals a day. He's drinking all this water and doing all this kind of stuff. Does he need to? I am a little concerned about Tyson Fury's weight. I don't think he's going to come in, you know, overly fat or anything like that. Perhaps he's putting on too much muscle. You know, and he's not going to come in looking like a bodybuilder. But for me, the key to him beating Deontay Wilder is mobility, speed. When he fought Vladimir Klitschko, he was 247 pounds. That's one of the lightest weights of his whole career. And he was able to move around the ring and use his height and reach and awkwardness. And Vladimir could barely land a punch on him. Because of the fact that you had movement, you know, foot speed and movement combined with long reach, you know, throwing jabs and awkward shots at long range and being elusive. Vlad just couldn't deal with it. Deontay Wilder, similarly, struggles with a tall guy reaching movement who doesn't want to be hit, who's just making it awkward. I mean, Deontay Wilder struggles with movement against smaller opponents. We saw that in the Artis Bilka fight. So if 
Tyson Fury is serious about trying to knock Deontay Wilder out, bulking up, putting on more muscle potentially, trying to impose himself on Wilder more physically. I think it's a big mistake. You know, with boxing, a lot of it comes down to perception. Tyson Fury's perception, at least as far as we can tell, is that he was robbed in the first fight. Tyson Fury's perception, as far as he uh, makes out publicly, is that he can't win a decision in the second fight. If that is genuinely what he thinks, then he may genuinely go out there and try to get a knockout and he'll probably get knocked out himself in the process. So very, very intriguing fight. Interesting to see the tactics that both guys employ. Now, some people have pointed out, rightly so, that Tyson Fury said he was going to go out and knock Klitschko out in a couple rounds, but he actually went out there to box. So with Tyson Fury, there's always an air and an element of misdirection in whatever he's doing. And if he's as smart as I think he is, that's what he'll do this time as well. Try to throw Deontay Wilder off, make him <clears throat> unsure about what Tyson Fury is going to do. And essentially just try and get under Deontay Wilder's skin, wind him up. Because that actually worked, I think, to some degree last time. Tyson Fury took the play away from Deontay Wilder, both in the lead up to the fight and during the fight. Wilder was wound up. Fury's showboating and all that kind of stuff. You could see the frustration in Deontay Wilder's face, not just with the fact that he couldn't land his big shots for most of that fight, but also with the fact that Fury was showboating and the crowd were loving it. And you could see Wilder kind of like, just angry at what Fury was doing. But that helped Fury win a lot of the rounds because for most of that fight, the rounds were nip and tuck. There was you know, barely a punch or two between them to split him in most rounds. But Fury's body language, his showboating, his doing a little bit extra in the final moments of a round was winning him and nicking him a lot of the rounds. <laughs> you know, that's how fine a margin there is between victory and defeat at this level in boxing. That a bit of showboating and just looking more confident after you've done your work, after you've thrown your shots, could win you a round in a close one. So, yeah, going to be very interesting to see how this fight goes. The tactics, especially uh, Tyson Fury's tactics, but even Deontay Wilder, he now thinks he's some kind of boxing genius who can just wait a whole fight and land one punch. And there's a lot of casuals out there, people who don't really don't know anything about boxing. And they think Deontay Wilder can just do this perpetually throughout his career. He can just wait, 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 land one punch and win every fight the same way. Fury's the only guy who he might have to do a little bit more work against, but everybody else, he can just replicate the tactics he used against Luis Ortiz in the in the uh, rematch, excuse me. <laughs> Again, when did you start watching boxing? Last week? Every big punch in heavyweight, other than Rocky Marciano, who's, be who's been heavyweight champion, they have come up against an opponent who their power is not enough to defeat. George Foreman came up against Muhammad Ali. Later on, he came up against Jimmy Young. Mike Tyson came up against Buster Douglas. Later on, later on, he came up against Evander Holyfield. And of course, there were people Mike Tyson went a distance with. He went a distance with Bonecrusher Smith. Bonecrusher Smith got knocked out by Razor Ruddock. You know, got, knocked, got stopped by several people. Well, Mike Tyson couldn't knock him out, went a distance. You know, been in many, many punches over the years, you know, big punch in heavyweights. They come up against an individual who has the ability either to stay away from their power, to neutralize their power, or can take their punches. I mean, Vladimir Klitschko, 
Tremendous puncher. Tyson Fury had been dropped by Nevin Pykic and Steve Cunningham. Neither one of those guys could hit anywhere near as hard as Klitschko. But yet, Tyson Fury schooled Vladimir Klitschko. He didn't let Klitschko get them big punches on him. See, boxing is far more complex than a lot of casuals realize it is. It's not about who's got the big punch. All these big heavyweights, Wilder, Fury, uh, well, let me, let me say Wilder, AJ, Dylan White, they've all got the power to knock each other out if they land properly on the chin. You think if Deontay Wilder took the left hook on his chin that Derek Chisora took, that knocked out Derek Chisora in the 11th round of the Dylan White rematch, you think if Wilder took that punch, nothing's going to happen? Wilder's going to be in all kinds of trouble if he gets hit that clean by a Dylan White left hook. Same way if Wilder hits Dylan White with a shot, he knocked Ortiz out with, Dylan White's in all kinds of trouble. If AJ hits Wilder with the right hand he hit Charles Martin with, Wilder's in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> if he hits Wilder with the uppercut he hit Klitschko with, Wilder's in all kinds of trouble. This is what the casuals need to understand. All these big heavyweights can hurt each other. You can all knock each other out if they catch each other right. It's a lot deeper than who, who hits the hardest. It's about who can get in position to land their punch. Yeah, that's what you need to understand. Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about this particular fight, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. This happened, I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. This is Rob Tabbitt for Boxing Social in association with Brett Fred. Joined here today by the destroyer, Connor Ben. We're at the Matchroom Gym down in Essex. How are you, Connor? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Ready to crack on with the year. How was your Christmas and New Year? It was all right. It was nice and hot. Yeah. Well, you weren't here then if it was nice and hot. What did you get up to? I was out in Spain. Yeah, I was there for three weeks. It was nice. It was relaxing. Business? Pleasure? No, definitely pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back 2020. Before we talk about what's coming this year, what did you make of your year last year? Obviously, last time we saw you in the ring was in October against Stephen Jamoy. Another knockout win. Talk to me about 2019. Uh, 2009, full Joseph Sandrick at the O2. First fight of the year. Boxing well. Over eight rounds. Um, was one of my easiest fights. Um, he's just gone and fought. Um, former IBF and WBA world champion um, who's had what like something like 27 fights 25 knockouts and lost to that um, Julius Ndongo I think he built Kirill Relic uh, so and, in that sh and he went points with him so that shows what sort of level that opponent was 
and you know I won every round and put him down while at it and then that juicy Koibula you know he come for it he tried roughing me up and he got banged out and then that Stephen Jamoy boxed him perfectly and then finished him off tucked him in nicely so overall last year showed this display of different things and you know this year we plan on on doing exactly the same thing mentioned kind of showing the different things every time I speak to you I always mention the fact that sometimes you're a, a balls to the floor banger and other times you think about your boxing a little bit more are you starting to settle into your style a little bit more now you're getting a little bit more experience in your professional career no it all really depends on my opponent if my opponent comes and fancies it you know I get my back up and you know <laughs> getting banged out and that's going to be my intentions if you want to come and try and stick it on me I will try and lay you out just to prove a point and if the other guy's all calm and wants to try and outbox, I'll take it to him and I'll, I'll try and I'll outbox him. So, you know, last year I had two boxing matches and including putting them all, all three fights last year, put them all down. Um, and, you know, two knocked out. So, you know, it's, there's that power there out of my 16 fights, 40 of them, 14 of them have touched the canvas. There's obviously power there. You know, the two ones that I didn't stop were early on in my career. So, I'm... Um, I'm ready to crack on with this year, man. What's coming this year? Every time again I speak to you, I'm always asking you about domestic fights and people calling you out. Um, so it's nothing new to you. But obviously, the name you've mentioned with recently in the last couple of months is Johnny Garton. Is that the fight that we can realistically expect for you coming to? Definitely. I mean, it's down to him if he wants to accept the offer. I'm not on my last legs here. You know, there's a million of people in England that find me for free, let alone for the WBA title, let alone at the O2 Arena, and let alone let alone for the money that's been offered. No, I don't, I don't need him. That's, that's, the, that's the reality of it, is, you know, there's millions of other people I can fight. Who's he going to fight that's going to get him a paycheck? Nobody. I mean, he did, you know, he's getting offered, you know, almost double, triple what he's ever got paid before in his life. So, you know, it's all down to him and what he wants. Because he won't, he won't get that, that opportunity again. We've spoken about kind of in between styles or not in between styles but different styles sometimes box sometimes fight it would seem to me like a fight with you and Johnny Garton would be a fight it wouldn't be a boxing match would you agree with that? Um, not quite sure because I'm not no Corcoran or Jenkins um, and Jenkins almost had him late around Jenkins not known to be a banger he's come up from light war or lightweight whatever I, can't, I don't know which way he is um, so it's, I don't think he's uh, Garton's better than Juicy Koivula or that Joseph Sahandrick or Stephen Jamoye. You know, he, he went the distance with Tyler Goodjohn. He got banged out by Egerton by a left hook. And, you know, if he comes for it, I'll be the quicker, sharper, faster, hard-hitting puncher, you know, on the night. 100%. 100%. And, you know, people thought, oh, Juicy Quavulli is going to be in trouble. He's only got, you know, he got stopped in eight rounds by Leonard Bundu, for Errol Spence. Or... I banged him out. No problem. No problem. Why, why do I think he's going to be any different? You know, um, that, that juicy Koivu, love, you know, everyone thought, oh, he's experienced this, that. I'm telling you now. You know, I'll, I'll, ca I'll catch you at some stage of the fight and I'll bounce on you. And I will try my hardest to get you out of there. And it's my first, you know, if he does accept the offer, I don't know if he will. Um, if he does accept the offer, it'll be my first British domestic and I will be trying to make a statement. You mentioned an offer. When are we? When is that offer for? Is it going to be March 28th? It seems to be kind of the, the date or the well, the show that's been floated. Is that going to be the, the date that you're pushing for? Um, hopefully March 28th. Um, that's when I'll be out. Again, whether he accepts the offer or not. 
um, it don't really affect me. There's you know a million other fighters I can fight, so um, you know hopefully he does. Um, you know he thought that last time out we were gonna you know get him at last notice. I ain't getting you like you either accept what's being offered or you don't. We know what you've been paid before, and we know how much more this is than what you've ever got paid. So you know if he wants to be greedy, greed gets you nowhere in life. Uh, last time I was down at the gym, we had somebody else here. We had your dad. Uh, Nigel Ben, for anybody who doesn't know, and if you don't know, probably shouldn't be watching Boxing Social. Um, he was down at the gym and he was preparing for a fight. Now, that's not happened. So let's go back and, uh, first of all, the, the reason. There was an injury, it was a shoulder injury or, or something like that. What can you tell me about the reasons why that fight didn't happen? Uh, yeah, torn muscles in both his shoulders. And he had injections in them to cause them to try and take the pain away. But I am happy that... He didn't fight. Very happy. I mean, I was getting bashed up in sparring my last camp, and I thought, oh, but I, I hope it ain't distracting me, and I hope I ain't taking him out. And then I went, tone, mate. I'm not sure if I can fight. Um, because I didn't know if it was in the back of my mind, my dad's fight the whole time. And, and then, obviously, you know, camp went good. The end of camp went good, that last day. <laughs> So you feel like it was that on your mind that much? Because last yeah. time I was here, obviously, we did a quite a, a revealing interview, quite a deep interview, where you did speak about the concerns that you had for your dad, but you know he was very much set on coming back to the ring, but you were affected that much that it was affecting your own performance. Yeah, because you're hearing things about fires passing away, Donna Stevenson, um, the incident that happened, um, Patrick Day, and then you're like, oh, you know, your heart just like, you just... You just start to think, do you know what I mean? And it just went, yeah, it went cool. What was your dad's reaction? Because when I spoke to him, he was full of beans. He was, he was fighting whether people, you know, whether people liked it or not. Um, what was his immediate reaction to it? Um, what? Not fighting. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, he, I don't know. I think there was a sense of relief um, from pressure. But then also disappointment and frustration but I can't speak on behalf of my dad you have to ask him that you know yourself I am just very happy that he didn't fight because I don't think I could have watched it to be honest do you think I mean obviously you said that you, you were pleased that he didn't fight do you think it was a realisation for him the fact that he, he tried to do the camp and he obviously got injured and, and potentially realised that maybe he wasn't able to do what he thought he was going to do the injuries are always there the shoulder pains will always say he's been out, he's had them for years, but I think he thought he could have come through it. He's fit, he's a fit, well, not young, he's a fit man, <laughs> not young. He's a fit man, very fit man. Can he have it? 100%, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, your body's still, you know, done the mileage. And, you know, it's not like he had an easy career. And, you know, you ain't got the science you've got now behind it all. You know about oh, don't do this because you know later on in the line you're gonna have shoulder problems or have these problems or don't do cut weight this way because you'll have problems internally or you know so it, now it's a science whereas back then it was you know get that steak down yeah bang bosh <laughs> and it ain't like now so and you know he's cartilage in his knees as well yeah it's, it's loads of things it's going to be coming back, though, you told me off camera. It's going to be coming to join you in camp for your fight on March the 28th. Uh, you spoke to me in the past about how beneficial it is having him here because he is a very, um, what's the word, a very jovial character, let's, probably, let's say. Um, how much are you looking forward to having him back over and not be training for his own fight as well? 
I mean, me and my dad used to clash, and now, now it's like he's he's just he's just such a funny guy, nuts, pure pure nuts, and we have like this joke. We've seen Fresh Prince of LA, you know Jeffrey. It's like, yeah, dad. I've got your dicky bell at home waiting for you. <laughs> so he's um, he's really helpful, and you know he really does help me as a dad. And he he he's just mad. Like he wake up at two a.m. Australian time, go son. I've just woken up, and God reminded me to tell you to box with the hand weights on and your altitude mask on. Love you. Good night. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you are you right? <laughs> Like are you, are you okay? Like it's just, it's just bizarre, and it's just, it's just. Um, I just love him, man. Is that it now for him? And any thoughts of a comeback? <laughs> no, no, I hope not. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We might get in ten years. <laughs> Over nineties, <90s>, gang. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, okay, well, Conorman, always a pleasure catching up with you. Um, if I don't see you before, see you March the twenty eighth, hopefully against Johnny Garton. Um, but before we go, tell fans what to expect from Connor Ben in two thousand and twenty. Two thousand and twenty, clean up domestically. Yeah, I want to clean up domestically this year. And uh, no, it's good fights out there for me. Um, I'm ready to crack on this year and you know, you know, leave my print um, in the British scene. You know, hopefully win that British title, uh, Commonwealth title. Um, that's that's my goals for this year. And um, and then push on, but there's good, you know, a few good domestic fights for me here, and best, you know, know you're going to be entertained. That's for sure. It's just reminded me, Josh Kelly. That's a name that was floated about for a while. You talked about cleaning up domestically. He's a domestic fighter. Again, first 2020, and his name gets brought up. Oh, um, is that a fight that we could realistically expect to see this year? Do you think? Well, listen. Hopefully, Garn accepts the the offer, and then. You know, I've got my eyes focused on that. Um, but he's got Amnesian. Listen, you obviously hope, I hope the Brit, you know, you got back the Brit and I hope Kelly beats Amnesian. Am I struggling to see it? Yeah. Based on the last few performances, but maybe Kelly will rise to the occasion. Um, as far as big domestics, big, big domestics, is, you know, someone that, you know, we gel. Simply because of the fact that he's, He's the complete opposite to what I am. Style, personality, and, you know, it's completely different. Uh, but, you know, people are now starting to see what I was saying when I'm all wrong for him. It's the, who knows what the future holds? He, you know, I wish him luck at fighting Evanesian. I do. And I hope he wins. You mentioned, based on the last couple of performances, you can't quite see it. Um, what do you mean by that? Is that is that performances from Avanissian? Is that performances from Kelly or both? Not from Kelly, more so. I mean, I just don't understand. He throws power shots like he's got the ability to bang. I think if he tried to take it to Avanissian, he'd, you know, that wouldn't be the right tactics. Um, and if he tries to box on the back foot, he's got to work. But it don't seem to his work rate just seems to fold after six rounds. And Avanissian, I know, come on strong, so I think Avanissian's will run for him. But I hope I hope he wins. I do. But what do you think? It's a very very difficult fight for Josh Kelly based on his last couple of performances and Avanissian's last couple of performances. But it's a fight that's definitely winnable for both men. That's what I think. 
Yeah, I, I really don't know. I think I mean it since I don't know, man. To be honest, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see what Killy's made of. That's if he if he can take a shot. If he can get dig and get back up, he may have to get down dirty. Can he get down dirty? And those those are question marks left unanswered. If he wants to sit in the ropes and do all that flashy stuff, he'll get banged. You know, ain't no Robinson. He don't. Avanessian's a puncher, and I hope he does it. That's all I can say. But Avanessian's. I rate. I rate Avanessian. Okay. Well, we look forward to seeing it do this again now. Connor Ben, thanks very much for speaking to Boxing Social. Look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you. This is Rob Tuggle for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. Delighted to be joined by former British European Super Featherweight Champion Martin J. Ward. We're here in Essex at the Matchroom Gym. How are you, Martin? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah, good Christmas, yeah. Grinding out in the gym over Christmas. Now, you've got a date, February the 8th, so that's why you've been in the gym over Christmas. Yeah. As I understand it, you don't have an opponent yet, but... How good is it to be back in the ring February the 8th in Sheffield? Yeah, I can't wait. I'm really excited. Um, we was originally scheduled to fight um, Miami January 30th and it's been rescheduled for Feb 8th in Sheffield. Uh, just sorting out the opponent at the minute. Should be a good fight. Uh, World-ranked world opponent and um, it'll push me on for in, on the right path to get a world title sh shot this year. If people can hear that in the background, that's Ben Hall destroying the bag behind you. Uh, but we'll be able to get through the interview, no problem. Um, every time I speak to you, every time I speak to Eddie, it's always big fight. We need a big fight yeah, for Martin J. Yeah. Ward. I need a big fight. You've had the European, you've had the British title. It's got to be a big fight sometime soon in 2020, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a bit frustrating in the last year. I've only had a, I've been in the gym all year round working and we've had a few, few fights been mentioned to us and been right up for it. And, had the camps and stuff, and then they've not materialised. So, but this year it's going to happen. The big fight is going to happen. I know it is. What's that like for you? You have to stay in the gym, and you you, you maybe not getting the, the opportunities that you want. What's that like for a fighter? I'm sure there's some days it's a little bit difficult or more difficult than others. Yeah, of course it can be frustrating, but um, you know I've, got, I've just got to be professional about it. And in the meantime, I'm I'm obviously I'm uh, working on the tournament the whole time and. I believe I've come on a lot better in the last 12 months. I know I ain't had no proper fights to show it, but I'll be showing in these next couple of fights uh, there'll be a, a lot better version of me coming out and a more exciting fighter. Having that time out of the ring, does that give you a little bit of time to kind of work on your yeah. craft a little bit more, perfect mm. things that maybe you don't get to do when you're in camp? Yeah, of course, yeah, it does. And uh, my weight's been really good this, well, all year. I've been, I've been not dieting, but I've been eating well and... Um, I've been living living a good life in the gym and working on a lot more of my boxing skills and and fighting skills and settling down more and putting putting different combos together, working on different shots. It's not about like losing weight and stuff. It's, there's more into it now, and it's, I, I think I really think I'm like going to show a, a lot better version in this next fight. Fight that's been mentioned for you. Well, there's been a number of fights been mentioned for you, but one in particular has been Tevin Farmer. Obviously, he's got a fight coming up against Jojo Diaz. How do you see that fight going? Um, I think, I think, I think it'll be a good fight. I'm not, I think, I'm not really too sure to be honest how it'll go. Um, I've seen a bit of jo Joseph Diaz. He's a good fighter. He's a good solid fighter. Um, I'd lean towards Tevin Farmer. He's, he's, he's a slick operator, but Diaz can bang. And if Farmer keeps on 
trying to do the shoulder roll a bit too much and stuff, he can get he can cop for one and could be all over, you never know. Having a world champion like Tevin Farmer, who, while he's based in America, has yeah. fought a lot of British fighters, how beneficial is that for you when, you, when you're looking at him fight your James Tennyson, who's obviously you've shared the yeah. ring with, yeah. and, and people who you know and you can kind of compare to? That must be very beneficial for you. Uh, it can be, but I'm on my own path, and, you know, I've, I definitely wouldn't be... I'm not looking up to Tevin Farmer. I want to take his belt off. I'd love the, the chance of getting that fight, um, if not one of the other champions. But... Um, I'll be world champion this year. Who do you rate currently is the best super featherweight in the world, apart from yourself? Best super... <laughs> I like that. I always have to slip like that, that in there for like fighters. Uh, the best super featherweight at the minute. Um, who would be the best super featherweight? Don't know if the Mexican uh, Burchell would be number one. I'd probably rank him as number one. He's a, he's a big... He's big for the weight. He's big. He's heavy-handed, very hard hitter, and so he's a... He's a Mexican, he's a tough guy, isn't he? I'd probably put him as number one at the minute. Talk about him potentially fighting Oscar Valdez at some yeah. point this year. That seems to be... be a great if, fight. Yeah, if that does happen, it seems yeah. to be a, a cracking fight. Yeah, that'd be a great fight, a good, exciting fight. But I think he'd beat Valdez, personally, myself. Um, Valdez is a really exciting fighter. He's, he's self, he's a, he's, a, he's a great world champion. But I think uh, that Burchell might be a bit too big. A um, bit too rough and rough and ready. Valdez is a great fighter, though, but it's, it's on a night with them top world champions. Considering the last 12 months that you've had, what one name, if you could have any name this year, who would you fight? Would it just be anyone with a belt, or is there a specific fight that you'd like? Uh, yeah, a world, a world champion. I, I want to fight one of the world champions. If it's, um, it's uh, Golden Boys world champ, Rennie Alvarado, or Tevin Farmer, I'd love to fight one of them there. I know. There are possibilities that can happen. They're like under under the same sort of um, brand and stuff with the zone and that. So there's possibilities there, but uh, I'd definitely love to get in with one of them. Or, or listen, I'd love a fight with any, any of the world champions in my way. I'm a I'm a 130 pound fighter, and I want to be I want to be mixing it with the best. So any one of them. Before I let you go, just grab your opinion on a couple of fights. Pedro Saunders and Canelo Alvarez yeah. seem to be on the verge, potentially, of announcing a fight for me. Uh, you know Billy Joe. Yeah. How do you see that fight going? That'd be a great fight if it comes off. I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be pumped to be watching that fight. Uh, Billy Joe's got all the skill in the world, and if anybody can do Canelo Alvarez, it is Billy Joe. He's, he's a slick, he's a slick motherfucker. He's, he's, uh, he's very slippery, and he needs something big like this here to, to bring it. To bring them big performances out of him, like every time, any time he's been stepped up against good opposition, he's uh, he's pulled out a good performance. So uh, I think he needs he needs something like I say, Billy Joe. It'd be great, it'd be great to see him in there. Sorry, Ben Hall is very loud. <laughs> Martin J. Ward, thanks very much for speaking to Boxing Social. Uh, good to see you looking well. Hopefully, you get yourself a nice big fight in yes. 2020. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. This is Ryan Elliott for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. I'm in Sonny Hartlepool today, joined by the pride of the northeast, Lewis Ritson. Lewis, it's been a while. I haven't seen you since you fight Robbie Davis. Good Christmas, good New Year. Yeah, good Christmas. It's three days off. Uh, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, New Year's Day. And, you know, me, Tommy and that, we've been in the full Christmas and happy as Larry fit us out. 
I was going to ask you when you got the call to come back to Neil's Ranch, but you said there you're back in over Christmas. We've heard there's going to be a April 4th show in Newcastle. hasn't been formally announced. We expect you to top the bill. Is that what you're working towards? Yeah, well, you know, we got to keep running off. All of a sudden, it's sort of like all this, it's come out. So, uh, yeah, April 4th, and uh, me and Tom, you're going to be on that in, in two big fights, and uh, just bringing the big shows back up the North East. You got told to keep it under wraps, so I'm not expecting you to sit here and just tell me exactly what's going on. But opponents-wise, what what sort of level are we looking at? And is there any sort of names that's been thrown your way that you could tell us about? And no, not that, not one over has been told that we're going to be in two two hard fights against world-class opponents. So you know we've got a uh, hard night ahead of win. Um, that's why we're training so hard. We're in so early. I've, you know, being in the gym, probably started camp a little bit too early, but we we train really hard and. We've got plenty of time and we're going to be fit as a fiddle come fight night. As mentioned, the last time I saw you was the, the Robbie Davis Jr. night at the arena. Electric atmosphere, a good win for yourself and a domestic fight, the air contender. When you look back, how do you sum up that night? Yeah, well, electric, you know, sold over 2,000 tickets for that and, uh, you know, the atmosphere was, was mental. And uh, Yeah, clear winner on the night, fourth, you know, watched it back a few times now and, Robbie keeps saying that he got his kegs pulled down and all that, but he must be watching a different fight. But uh, it takes two to tango. He done his part, I done my part. And, uh, you know, you never know. It might, might happen again down the line if I need him, but we'll see. <laughs> Got to get that one. I'm giving him a bit stick now. He gave me a bit stick leading up with the fight. So, swim with sharks and that. So, uh, I've got to give him a bit now since I've won. Now, obviously, going back to that night, no one had doubted your, your sort of entertainment factor as a fighter and even the power at lightweight as well. But there had been question marks about you as a 12-round championship fighter and the engine, etc. You told me in the build-up to that fight, I'm fit as a fiddle, the strength and conditioning, working with Neil full-time up here, it's all going to play its part. We saw that. The, the pace was electric in there. You, in most people's minds, clearly won the fight. You did get the win as well. Was it nice to sort of put, prove a few people wrong in there as well? Yeah, definitely, especially with uh, Robbie, you know, like the fight before me, he was British Commonwealth and European champion, you know, and sadly them titles couldn't be on the line, especially the European, which is something I would have, would have loved to have won. But uh, yeah, I think I proved people, you know, I'm a 12-round fighter, I can't go that and I can't go at a very high pace, and Robbie done that as well, so fair play to him. And um, yeah, it was just nice to prove people wrong, especially on the boxing side as well, you know, the first four or five rounds all oh, got stuck in it with each other and then... It was nice to show people I've got more in my game where I can't move ahead, I can't step back and, and it was nice to nice to prove a lot of people wrong, a lot of sky pundits there wrong and you know, like a lot of top trainers wrong and it was, it was happy we had a good good laugh about it in the gym. Did you prove anything to yourself that night? Because, you know, going into the Patera fight you'd mentioned that there'd maybe been a bit of pressure there with all the talk of St James's and stuff. This was a big night for yourself. There was talk of world titles down the line, etc. Huge domestic fight. When you came out, you seemed to be thriving. You're enjoying the occasion. Did you prove anything to yourself that night? No, no, like and you know, me and Neil know what, what, what I can do. What I'm all about, you know. We've spawned like the sport when I've been with Neil, you know, Selby in the build up with the fight. We've spawned with a couple of our big names, and Neil knows what I can do. And as long as I listen to Neil, and then it's happy days. You know, Neil told us that all I need to do is just turn up and uh, do what I can do, and I'll win the fight, and, and that's what happened. And you know, Neil knew I was a 12-round fighter. He's seen us. You know, he picks up for the beach 10 to 8 every morning and do it. You know, Neil's there. Everything he's there. Every strength and conditioning session he's there. Every spawn session, every every session in the gym, every run. You know, it could be hailstone and pain down outside and Neil Fannin still there running it with you, making sure he's shouting you on, go on, go ahead of us, keep going and going. And, and uh, when, when we knew that 
we were gonna, we, we know we said it before. We, we knew we had nothing to worry about, and that's no offence to Robbie. We oh, had nothing to worry about with Robbie, and Robbie would probably think the same way in the in the build up, you know, in his training. And uh, you know, we we'll just put on we we'll put on a good fight for the crowd, and that, that's what I was happy about. You mentioned there, Neil's always with you, rare and you're on. You're up here at Fano's Ranch, as you call it, working with him and Tommy Ward day in, day out. What's the mood like around here at the minute? Because you're working towards big fights, you've got a nice bit of momentum. Tommy, as well, is looking like he's going to fight for a world title this year. What is that mood like? No, you know, the atmosphere is great. You know, probably the Neil and Fano's gyms have been in a better place. You know, like the gyms are for the faint hearted. You know, you've got me, Tommy, Martin, and yeah, a few of us. You get tortured and yeah, you get tortured, but it's good, you know, it brings out the best. And when uh, Tommy Martin, brothers, Roy comes in, who's uh, Tommy's brother, I know every session you think you're gonna have to be pulling them apart, you know, like <laughs> they're ready to show us next, they're gonna kill each other, but it's good. And uh, you know, we've all got to work hard, and yeah, because if you're not working hard, we're all on each other's backs. Yeah, you lazy bastard, you get going, this and that, and and, and, and it's good, and it's bringing out the best in we. In, going into 2020, obviously, you're going to be out in April, uh, 4th of April, in Newcastle. What would be your ideal 2020, though? What sort of plan have you laid out in your head? Things you'd like to sort of achieve this year? Yeah, we can't really say much about it, but me and Tommy got a three-fight plan, and uh, supposedly two in Newcastle, one in America. So hopefully we can, uh, that can happen. And, you know, we've just been told we've got very free, free, very hard fights this year, and if we can get through them, then we've got the world title on us. The next year, you know, it would have been great to get the... You know, I was getting a lot of stick for... I, I never called out Josh Shiller before my life, but I was getting a lot of stick for saying that I would take that fight. But, you know, like, he's the best out there. He's got the belts. If somebody offers you that fight, then, of course, you're going to take it on. It doesn't matter what's going to happen in that fight. You're going to try your heart out in there. But, you know, that, sadly, that fight is not going to happen now. And we're going to uh, we're going to have three hard world-level fights and prove to everybody that we're world-level. And then we're going to fight for the, the big honours. You mentioned Josh Taylor there. There was loads of talk. As you said, it didn't actually stem from yourself, this whole Taylor Ritson thing. It came from other people. Uh, it was talked about by Eddie Hearn a lot, even uh, post-fight after the Robbie Davis fight. As you mentioned, he's now gone with top rank. It looks like he's going to go into a mandatory defence and then fight Ramirez. So that fight appear, appears to not be there in the near future. That said, you've, you've harboured this sort of St. James's dream for some time now. Do you think that's still a realistic possibility for the next couple of years if the profile gets big enough and you keep winning? Yeah, definitely. You know, that's, that's the plan. We've, we've already said when we're free fighters, yeah. Um, if Ramirez and Taylor fight each other, then they'll become vague. Then we're going to hopefully fight for a vacant world title at St James's Park. Um, and that's what we've been told and that's the dream. So, you know, we're not getting ahead of ourselves. I told you before the Robbie Davis fight, we're not. We're going to take each fight as it comes, one by one. by one. And uh, just got to keep winning, got to keep putting out performances, keep people interested and keep, you know, keep selling the tickets. You know, and uh, hopefully we'll just keep selling more and more each each fight. And, and uh, that's that's the plan. Obviously, you've been in your fair share of domestic fights and, and, and won pretty much all of them. Um, did you feel the response get even bigger after the Robbie Davis fight? Did you feel it just went to that next level a bit? Yeah, you know, well, yeah, I mean, because obviously we're two fights before that were against foreigners, you know, and it was a bit like, it's hard to get up for them, you know, Robbie, you can get your teeth into it and get stuck in and that win and obviously proved a lot of people wrong and, and we got the win and it did, it, it, it fingered up another level and... You know, we've got straight back in the train and I feel like I've went up another level again since that. So we're just going to keep running and improving people that won't go up the levels. Just to take things away from yourself, Lewis, as mentioned, it looks like Josh Taylor will face Ramirez down the line after they both got the mandatories out of the way. If Ramirez avoids any banana skin against Victor Postel as well. Were that fight to happen, how do you see that playing out? Who do you think will be crowned undisputed champion at your weight? 
Josh, I think Josh. I think I think the fight will be harder than what what it was. With, kind of, yes, progress. I think it'll be a harder fight than than what that was. But I think uh, I think Josh is number one, isn't he? I think he's proved that with the lads that he's fought and stuff. So I think he'll come out on top of that. One last one before I let you go, Lewis. I know you want to go away and see your little one after you just finished your training there next month. Las Vegas got a huge heavyweight rematch. Tyson Fury out there facing Deontay Wilder, WBC world title. How do you see see it playing out, and what does each fight have to do differently going into the rematch? I think just I think Tyson's got to do more of the same what he done in the first, and just make sure he doesn't get hit. You know, like Wilder already hit him twice in the last fight, and you put him down the two times you hit him, so. I think it's all whether I can avoid that right hand for the for the twelve rounds again, which is going to be hard for him to do. But if there's anyone that can do it, it's it's him, you know. And uh, I think few, I think few will win that fight. Lewis, I'm going to let you go. Thank you as always for your time. Uh, no thanks for having me up, and we'll catch you when you've got official fight yes. news. But yeah, thank you very much. Smart, thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs>